big part of seeking God is learning to celebrate where we come from because God's been active there whether you noticed it or not. Another big part of seeking God is learning to let go of where we come from, no matter how attached we are to it. We all come from somewhere, but we're all going someplace a little bit new.
Would you please join me in prayer? I'd like to read out of Psalm 139 this morning. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You, your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. God, we thank you this morning that you wrote things like this to us, to let us know how you think about us. Lord, we pray that that would settle over us, the uh, knowledge and the reality that you think we're wonderful, that you formed us, and that you already have things written for us to be doing, and that it, it's like the depths of the earth you created us. Lord, we pray that you would let each one know that intimately this morning. Lord, we, we thank you that you invite us this morning to um, think about and consider this scripture and to think about um, the things that we'll be presenting in this service. That you would inhabit each one and hit us where we need it, Lord, and move into our hearts and our minds and our situations and what we're facing with your truth and with your love and with uh, your lens of the way you see us. In Jesus' name, amen. Mountains are still being moved. Strongholds are still being loose. God, we believe. Yes, we can see that wonders are still what you do. And bodies are still being raised. Giants are still being slain. Cause God, we believe. Yes, we can see. Wonders are still what you do. We are Good morning, I'm Antonio. Hi, I'm Mindy. 
That was our Blue Water people worshiping through dance. You know, the spectrum of worship is wide and we try to give as many ways for people to worship at our service. Uh, so join them at the end of the service uh, to see the rest of the video. And may I suggest that you stand and possibly uh, involve your body in it. So Antonio, I'm sorry to keep asking, but when do you think we can meet together again, big church at Palama? Well, we can't meet in big church quite yet. Our landlords have not given us the green light, uh, but when we do, uh, we will spread the word. Uh, so make sure you're signed up for the newsletter. I Are am, you? yes. So I just went to the website, down at the bottom, I put in my email, it was super easy. Great. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, uh, until we meet in big church, you can always go to small group. I have been going to small group. It's been wonderful. Last week we met in person at Magic Islands, uh, but usually we meet over Zoom. And it's amazing that our 16 Ohana groups have been meeting consistently throughout the quarantine. And, uh, you know, some of them are meeting physically, some are meeting virtually or doing a combination of both. Yeah, there's a place for everyone. It's really great. Uh, so I know for the newcomers, the visitors, they shouldn't feel obligated to give, but for us regular attenders, how can I be tithing during this time? Well, you, Mindy, can just drop off your check here this morning because you're in the office. Uh, for those of you regulars who would like to tithe via check, just send it in via the post. Uh, for the other ones who prefer the internet uh, online, just go to our website for that. Well. We're about to start the sermon. Mindy, would you like to pray for our kids? I would love to pray for our kids. Kids, why don't you stand up and we'll pray for you as we get started. Well, Father God, we thank you for all the kids. Uh, we just pray a blessing over them today. Lord, we pray that they would be just excellent examples of question asking, of change, of growth, um, and of more receiving of your spirit. Lord, we ask for the kingdom to come for all of our kids this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. It's been a full week. There's so much going on in the world. So many things are being questioned and re-examined. So let's start with a warm-up question. You ready? Yes. What's an idea that you used to accept, but which you've had to reevaluate as you've become more spiritually mature? Bad things happen to good people. Well, if I were under duress, emotionally or physically, why me, why me? And I thought it was really important you have to ask why. You know, I always wondered, you know, if I die, you know, and I didn't yet confess my sin, am I going to go to heaven? So I had a lot of questions like that. And I think over time, I think the, what helped was uh, understanding that concept of sonship, being a child of God. You know, we have, we have crossed over from death to life. You know, like an injustice would happen and I would need to address it or like I would need people to know my heart in something or um, you know need to speak a, a truth right out and now it's become uh, much more nuanced and I've become much more aware of my own humanity. Like somebody who is um, strong and independent I thought that was like a really um, good thing and then as I matured, I realized it's, it's not always a good thing, especially when it comes to my relationship with God. Like, I need to be dependent. Have you ever had one of those personal culture clash 
experiences in life. Church used to be a, a culture class for me. I kind of I kind of grew up on the margin of things. My family was a little bit unstable. We moved around a lot. I didn't get a lot of church culture growing up, even though I was a believer from a young age. And pretty much every time I walked into a church, it would be a church that I wasn't terribly familiar with, and I would feel alien there. I just didn't have the hang of it. I didn't have the right clothes. I didn't know those weird songs that they were singing. Um, I didn't know how to talk. I didn't know how to behave. And I felt foreign in churches for a very long time. Another big personal culture clash for me was uh, the first time I left home and I went away to college. That's a big culture clash moment for a lot of people. Uh, the college I went to uh, was a big private university, Stanford University, and I felt like an utter alien when I showed up. Everybody had way more money than I had. Uh, for one thing. My freshman year, I lived in the African-American theme dorm. Uh, so I really stood out uh, due to the color of my skin and, and the culture that I came from. I remember uh, powerfully the first big exam that I took when I was in college. I was in this large lecture course and I was one of the few freshmen who was taking the course and, and uh, the big midterm exam came in, and I remember taking the exam about halfway through it. I thought, I am flunking this. This is going terribly as I was writing my short answer essays. And I went back to my dorm room from that exam thinking that I had probably just failed out of school. And then a few days later, the results come back, and it turned out that I had gotten like the second highest grade out of 300 people that had taken the class. And I had this moment, it almost made me feel a little bit nauseous, where I felt like, Maybe I do belong here. You know, maybe it's not an accident that I have arrived here. Have you ever felt like that? Like you just take stock of where you are in life and you're not really sure how you got there. You feel that maybe the situation before you or the decision before you is just accidental. And how do you navigate that? How do you get grounded in a moment like that? And back then, uh, when I was young, one of the things the Lord did for me is that he instructed me to get in touch with some of my past, some of the place, places where I came from. He specifically, at that time in my life, led me to get in touch with my biological mother, whom I had grown up without knowing. And so I had to go find her, and I had to approach her. Um, ironically, one way in which God can give us a sense of belonging in our present is is to remind us that he's been active in our past all along. God is the God of all seasons for all people. When you're thinking, wow, you know, how did I get here? Uh, what's going on right now? Uh, is it an accident or is it purposeful? You can look at your past sometimes. You can look at where you come from and often see that God has been leading you forward all along. And this gives you the wisdom uh, to keep going. I do not live in the past. That is not a great thing to do. That's never a healthy thing to do. Um, but it's so encouraging, encouraging for me to know that God has been working in my life and working in the life of my family all along. There is nothing about me that is terribly accidental. And that has given me some courage. Believe it or not, this leads us to our scripture passage for the day. We are in a sermon series out of the book of Acts. 
Uh, our progress has taken us up to Acts 17 this week. Uh, we are in the middle of an account of a missionary journey that Paul is taking with some of his ministry partners. And at this point in history, Paul is moving through the Greek peninsula. Uh, he's gone through a town called Thessalonica. He has brought some Jews and also some Greeks uh, into the faith. Uh, but there were some uh, religious Jews uh, in Thessalonica that uh, took umbrage at what Paul was doing. They felt that uh, he was uh, a traitor uh, to uh, the Jewish religious tradition. So they roughed him up a little bit and drove him out of the city. He ends up going then to a town called Berea where the people were more open-minded. Again, he converted some Jews, he converted some Greeks. Uh, but those contentious Jews from Thessalonica show up and they harass him again and he has to flee from Berea. And then he ends up in a place called Athens, which is a dominant Greek city. All through his journeying, Paul has been thinking about cultures, and he's been thinking about histories. He's been thinking about, uh, well, how do I deliver the kingdom uh, to, to Jews who might be afraid of change? How do I deliver the kingdom to Greeks who have no direct experience with the one true God or stories about the one true God. So it's been constant culture clash in a way uh, for Paul. And he arrives in Athens and Athens being a big cosmopolitan city is a cultural swirl. And this is the story of his experience there. Acts chapter 17, uh, we're gonna read verses uh, 16 through uh, about 34 or so. Paul has been uh, separated from his crew uh, for his own safety. He has fled uh, as an individual. And so he arrives in Athens alone. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. So everywhere he's going in Athens, he's talking uh, about big questions, big truths. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. When they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, uh, that was kind of like uh, the university setting of their day. Uh, there they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is and what you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and foreigners who lived, and spent their, who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Yeah, I've, no, I've known some crowds like that. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. They covered all their bases. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. 
The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all people life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the times set for them in the exact places where they should live. God did this so that Everyone would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is never far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said. We are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, uh, we want to hear you again on this subject. We are willing to see things a bit differently. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris and a number of others. When people are named like that in Luke's account, Dionysius and Damaris, it probably means that they would become leaders in the church of Athens eventually. These would be people that the reading audience would know. Super rich story, very interesting approach that uh, Paul uses uh, to reach the people of, of Athens. And in the middle of it, there's this altar to an unknown god and Paul finds this altar amidst altars all over to all sorts of gods in Athens. And he decides to investigate it and to use it to display the truth about God and Jesus. It turns out that that altar in Athens to an unknown God is an altar that we know something about. There's a story attached to it. There's a history to it. There's a legend to it. And it goes like this. In the 5th century BC, so four or five hundred years before Paul shows up in Athens, there was a terrible plague in Athens. Uh, and uh, what the people of Athens did is that they made sacrifices to all of their various gods to make the plague go away. But the plague did not lift. So the leaders of Athens consulted a very famous prophet of their day. Uh, he was kind of a prophet, a poet, a philosopher, but he was very well known. He was kind of a mystic. He was really a unique historical figure. He wasn't from Athens. He wasn't from Greece even. He was from uh, a place called Cre um, uh, Crete. Um, and this guy's name was Epimenides. So they invited Epimenides to come to Athens and to investigate the situation. And what Epimenides says was, well, you've sacrificed to all the gods, to all the traditions that you know, but it hasn't solved your plague problem. Uh, so here's what we're going to do. There must be some god we don't know that you should sacrifice to. Uh, and so he uh, gathered some sheep. He released them at the grazing time of the day. 
uh, around the hill of the Areopagus. And most of the sheep uh, you know, started eating grass, but uh, a number of them clustered and just sat down at this spot. And so on that spot, they erected an altar to an unknown god, they sacrificed those sheep, and that altar stood for hundreds of years. Paul shows up in the first century AD and finds this altar, probably asked them people about it and got the story. Ah, Epimenides. Yes, I've heard a little bit about him because Paul was a very educated guy. In giving the sermon to the Athenians, Paul actually quotes from Epimenides. Uh, that line, in him we live and move and have our being. Uh, I know a few Christian worship songs that have that line in it. But that line was actually written by a pagan poet and philosopher and mystic named Epimenides uh, in the 5th century BC. It is from uh, a poem that Epimenides wrote, a work called Cretica. Uh, and in it, uh, Epimenides is criticizing his own people about their view of the divine. Uh, the full quote goes something like this. They fashioned a tomb for you, holy and high one. Those Cretans, always liars, evil beasts with idle bellies. But you are not dead. You live and abide forever. For in you we live and move and have our being. This was a, a work, a poem that Epimenides wrote to criticize his people, the Cretans, for forgetting about the holy and high one. Uh, in, in his day and age, in his culture, the holy and high one was typically referred to as Zeus. Everybody knows the name Zeus, right? Isn't that your nickname, Quack? Oh, yeah. Zeus? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the, the Greek word for Zeus is, is theos. In Latin, it would be deus. Zeus is just a, a, an old, ancient form of Greek, a word that simply means God just like the Latin word deus means God. Zeus just means God. That's it. Now, over the centuries, the Greeks created a lot of little legends and stories and character around you know, this idea of God, and it became the Greek god Zeus. But originally, the tradition of Zeus was just the one high holy god over all. Even in Greek tradition, Zeus is the god that is more powerful than all of the other gods combined. And Epimenides recognizes that there's something about the Zeus story, the Theos story, the God story that transcends every other story in his culture. In his day and age, the Cretans were over it. And they were trying to kill God. They fashioned a tomb for you, God, Epimenides say, says. It's like, you guys have forgotten that there is a one true high God over all. Don't forget that, right? Uh, in the uh, 19th century, uh, Nietzsche famously said, God is dead. Um, but people have been trying to kill God for centuries before that. The Cretans were trying to do it in the 5th century BC. And Epimenides said, no, man, God is not dead. God is not dead. For in him still, even though you're ignorant of him, even though you turned your back on him and tried to kill him, Still, we all in him live and move and have our being. That's the Epimenides story. That's the story of the altar to the unknown God in Athens that Paul encounters. Good story? Good story. Paul picks up on this and he 
basically what he's doing is he's telling the Athenian Greeks their own story. He's telling them their own history and saying there was a time, guys, in which you, you remembered that you had forgotten something. There was a time in which you were closer to the tradition of the one true God. Let me explain to you how that works, he said. And I think this passage pivots on verses 26 through 28, uh, where uh, Paul says, you know, from one man, God made every nation, literally every ethne. From one person, God made all of the different ethnic groups, all of the different cultures, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God created all the cultures. God created all of the different nations and the places and all of the different histories and segments of histories, uh, Paul explains. God did this so that people would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him though he's not far from any of us. The whole reason that God multiplied languages and cultures and all of that was kind of to make people realize that no one group had the whole picture, right? So he, he turned us all into seekers, all into philosophers, and poets, and mystics, all trying to remember something that we had forgotten. Are you following me? Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful way to understand history and cultures and the world. We all have somewhere we come from. And Paul's saying, yes, that's true. We all have somewhere we come from. And the point is that we're all headed to the same place. We should help each other out. This isn't a foreign God I'm preaching to you, Paul's saying. No, this is your God. You know, and you have to seek him just like everyone does. In him we all live and we all move and we all have our being. Give me an amen. amen. It's a beautiful sermon. It's a pivotal piece of scripture there in the middle of the book of Acts. And then Paul presents Jesus as the decision point for all cultures. Jesus who has been resurrected from the dead, who has triumphed, triumphed over everything that it's possible to triumph over. Uh, Jesus is the way forward for you no matter what your history is. You know, God has been active in you all along. Pay attention and you will see that there's more to the story that you don't know. We all come from somewhere, but we're all going someplace a little bit new. You probably know the story of the Tower of Babel. Humanity was together. They were building a big tower uh, early in the book of Genesis. And God strikes people with a confusion of tongues. They all start speaking different languages. And so they are forced to migrate around the world. That was the beginning of the plan that Paul is describing in the book of Acts. And then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls on the church. And everybody starts speaking in languages they don't understand. We call that the gift of tongues. Now, instead of languages dividing us, we can speak languages that we don't even understand, and it, it unites us, unites us. You can speak a language I don't understand. I know that part of me God has put in you. We become brothers. That's how it works. The whole Babel paradigm. God divides us so that he can unite us in him, triumphing over our own humanistic spirit. If you know the story of Babel, you know that the people were getting prideful. 
They were forgetting that they needed God. Even the Jews, uh, it is clear in the account of the book of Acts, don't have the whole picture. They needed the provocation of the Greeks to understand the grace of God. And the early Christians, well, they needed the provocation of the Romans to understand uh, the grace of God. The best of the Athenians at the end of chapter 17 say, wait, we want to hear more of what you're saying. We are willing to see things differently. And at a certain point, all of us need to make that transition. No matter where we come from, no matter what we're attached to, no matter what we identify with, we have to say to the one true God, I'm willing to see things differently. Explain. Let's go forward. And all the good things start from there. This idea that all cultures have some fingerprint of God in them, but that God transcends all cultures, uh, that's, uh, that's something that, that perhaps we understand readily today um, in, in this world uh, because we're so global, so cosmopolitan. But this account was written in the first century AD, and there's nothing like it for uh, like another 1,700 years in human history. I mean, the Bible was so far ahead of its time in understanding cultures and high truth that transcends. There's just nothing like this document. Christianity is not culturally imperialistic. That's a, a lie. It is culturally transcendent in a way that was modern way before modernity happened. Christianity was a revolution. Christianity changes every culture it touches, but it doesn't claim that any one culture is better than others. There has been no force, no unifying and peace-giving force in history quite like Christianity. We'll have to talk more about that some other time. But we should appreciate that about our own story our own book. Now for you today, maybe where God is concerned or church is concerned or Jesus is concerned or faith is concerned, there might be something about it that makes you feel a little bit alien, that makes you think that it's a little bit foreign to you, this Christianity thing. Uh, and, and maybe there's something about your culture, your history, your story, uh, the things that you identify with that seem at odds with Jesus. And you don't know what to do about that clash. And the reality is, yeah, it's sort of true. But it's also sort of not true. One, God has already been at work in you wherever you come from. in all the places where you come from. Two, there will always be changes that you need to make because no one on earth has ever quite had the complete picture. Both things are true. God doesn't reject you and God doesn't reject yours, but that doesn't mean that you're complete. That doesn't mean that you don't need to change. You need to grow and transcend where you come from, redeem where you come from, just like everyone else on earth from every other place and every other time on earth. Paul would eventually write to the Corinthians, We preach Christ crucified, 
which seems like a stumbling block to Jews and like nonsense to Greeks. It seems like an offense to Easterners and to, you know, silliness to Westerners, Paul says. But to those who respond to God's call, whether Jews or Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. You know, if, if, you, if you let go of where you come from, at least a little bit, and go for it, Christ eventually makes sense out of everything for you. Everybody's got a problem with Jesus. And everybody finds their answers in Jesus. For everyone, he's the way forward. Everybody's got something they need to let go of. To rise above. To grow beyond. Uh, to understand differently. To see differently. And doing that will bring us more life. Not less life. Um, so I would like to invite everyone today to consider like the attitude of the best of the Athenians in the first century AD. The ones who said, huh, God has been involved with us all along. Jesus is the way forward. I might be willing to see things a little differently than I have. In some way, I think that is the core prayer of all conversion experiences. Dear God, I'm willing to see things a little bit differently. I'm willing to let go. I'm willing to accept new things. And I just invite you to pray that prayer with us this morning. Jesus, I'm willing to see things a little bit differently. Let's go. Let's go. I think that's what the best of us always do. So let's pray. Uh, Lord, uh, we say it together. We're willing to see things a little bit differently. We are willing to grow. We are willing to transcend. I thank you, Lord, that you have been involved in our individual stories, our group stories all along. I thank you that you are never far, never have been far from any of us, as Paul says that if we could go back in the past and look clearly enough, we would always see that you were there, that you were with us, taking us forward. But we didn't see it at the time. We know that you have an agenda for each of us, Lord. And we want to understand it better in our present. We want to understand it better now. Uh, these times are, are very uncertain. There are a lot of things in our world that are topsy-turvy, up in the air, that we are being invited to reconsider. I pray that Jesus would be the cornerstone of all of our considerations. Help us to see things a little bit differently, Lord, no matter where we're at, no matter where we've come from. Not all of us are as smart as Paul was. But we are mindful of what he wrote, that whether we're Jew or Greek, Eastern, Western, male, female, um, if we embrace Jesus, he is the power of God and the wisdom of God. You can make us wise. You can make us wise, Lord. We pray for the wisdom of God in our lives. 
whatever challenge we're facing, whether it be a challenge of provision uh, or a challenge of simple faith or a challenge of relationship and love. We appeal to you, Lord, to give us clarity, wisdom, and power. In Jesus' name, everybody says, amen. Hey there, Blue Water Ohana. Thanks again for joining us for today's Sunday message. I hope that you were inspired, that your faith was built up. If you'd like to respond to today's message through prayer, or maybe you have a prayer need, maybe physical healing or another area of your life, we'd love to pray with you. You can email julie at bluewatermission.org with your name and your phone number, and someone from our prayer team will call you back between 10.30 and 11 today. Hey, I don't know about you, but I'm personally so grateful that God is not done with me yet. He gave me a great start, placed me in a really interesting, fun family. He raised me from a very unique and beautiful cultural fabric, one of many on the earth, but I haven't yet arrived. Jesus is bringing me to completion. And I hope that you feel that same encouragement where you're at in your life. One of the ways that we express our trust in God on this journey, uh, how we express our surrender to his work in our life is through worship. So we're gonna end this segment today with a little video of some of our worshipers, our dance worshipers at Blue Water. Hope that you enjoy that. Again, thanks for joining us. We love you and we're looking forward to seeing you soon. Have a great day. Strongholds are still being God, we believe. Yes, we can see that wonders are still what you do. And bodies are still being raised. Giants are still being slain. Because God, we Yes, we can see wonders are still what you do. We are
prophesy. Cause miracles happen when 